Welcome home. A podcast by Taku. So when I was a kid um, growing up in Australia, uh, there was like this ad campaign that would like encourage people to, you know, to visit Australia, especially the outback. And the main tagline was, if you never, never go, you'll never, never know. And back then I thought it was like garbage. No, I thought it was like corny um, as a discerning 10-year-old <laughs> figuring out my artistic vision. No, I think it was like, you know, you just didn't really think much about these kind of like taglines that you hear as a kid on these ads. But it's kind of true, right? Like you, you will never know. If you never, ever go. <laughs> well, I think, you know, our guest in this episode kind of really is the epitome of that terrible Australian 1980s advertising slogan. And I, I'm a big believer that, you know, I think more or less that is trying to tell you to take some risks, if not, you know, at least some calculated semi-risks to really figure out if something's for you. Or even at the base level, if you want to visit somewhere, like how are you going to know if you're going to enjoy something or enjoy somewhere if you never experience it or you never like throw yourself at that thing? And I think like without every preamble being this like philosophical exercise, I think we like as creators, you have to take like little risks each day in order to find out how capable you are. For our next guest, and even for me, one of those things is like using your voice in your production and that's can always be a scary thing and it's a risk because like what if your voice is hot trash <laughs> but you know it's like we have to kind of put ourselves in these situations of like putting ourselves out there putting yourself in a situation that makes you you know see what you got see what you're made of because a lot of the time we know that we are capable of something like you may know that you have a really good singing voice in the shower, but you've never thought about putting it on a record. What does it take for you to kind of take that leap? I know for me, it was like industry friends and like people who I really respect that have amazing voices themselves telling me that I should use my voice. And at first I thought they were just like, you know, gaslighting me and lying to me. <laughs> but I think, especially if they're artists themselves, you would never encourage someone to use their voice if you didn't think they had a little spark in them, a little sparkle, you know. So for me, it was like, what have I got to lose besides fans and, and support from people who listen to my music? I mean, when I first sung over a song, it was so nerve-wracking putting it out because I was always known as like a bedroom producer and like stay in your lane, kid, like just make beats. Like, And I still got those comments like when I put out, I think it was American, American Girl with Wafia. That was the first song I sung over and there was a lot of like positive comments, but there was a lot of negative comments, mostly from young men, young angry men. <laughs> they were like, what are you doing singing over your beats, bro? Just keep making beats. Don't sing over them, bro. And like, I get it. But like, for me, it was fulfilling to kind of just put myself out there, take a risk, see what it felt like. And, you know, now I really love using my voice. I know I don't have the most perfect voice, but it's another like notch on the belt of, you know, creative expression that you can use to you know, express yourself and, and create. And it's up to you how far you want to take it. But I think our next guest really is the epitome of just going for it. And this is my only option. Like it's, I have to succeed. 
And I think there's something about that when it comes to artists that make us a kind of special breed. But also for anyone that wants to be an artist, you know, hearing stories about where it can be scary, but at the same time, it can take you, you know, to some amazing places and do some amazing things for your art. So, you know, whoever wrote that ad back in the 80s to visit Northern Territory, Australia, hats off to you, good sir or woman, because, yeah, 25 years later, it stuck with me. You never, never know if you never, never go. No. We have a really special guest on the Welcome Home podcast. I say that every single episode, but this one, I actually mean it. Just kidding. But no, this next guest for me, and I don't think I've said this to him ever, and that this is the first time us speaking ever, is he's actually one of my favorite producers for many reasons because he's more than just a producer. He's a songwriter. He's a singer. He works with a lot of amazing artists that I'm fans of as well. And his online presence is unmatched too. He has a really considered online presence and personality, which is really refreshing these days. So I'd like to give a big warm welcome to Romdeful to the podcast. How are you doing, man? Hey, thanks for the intro. That That's right. Really nice. <laughs> um, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing good, man. I, I know that you're back in, are you back home at the moment? Where are you based? So I just got back home from two and a half years in South Korea. So I'm back in Birmingham. Back in, in the, the UK. In the UK. Okay, nice. So I have some questions for you about your time in South Korea, but we'll get to that in a bit. But for those that perhaps aren't aware of who Romdeful is, how would you describe you and what you do? Uh, <laughs> that's the question I always struggle with. So I usually try to like oversimplify by just saying that I'm a very colorful creator. Love it. In more ways than one. So it's not just music, but like with video or like photography, video games. I'm just a creator that likes to use colors and happiness and fun as a way to express myself. I'd say it's the best way to describe what I do. I love it. Is that what you tell your family as well when they ask what you do? Or are they, are they fully aware of what you do? At this point, they're fully aware, yeah. Okay, <laughs> at this point, yeah. I think that's great, man, because I think that what's you know really comes across with your creativity and your art, it just has an abundant sense of joy and abundant sense of happiness and delight, and it really comes across in your music. I think, you know, ever since you started creating, was that always the goal for you to kind of always have that outlook? Where did that kind of inspiration come from? It's mostly came from my mom and my grandparents who they've kind of always instilled in me this belief that no matter what, anything's possible. And, you know, money, like, you know, numbers are going to go forever. And you should chase happiness. Um, do what's going to make you smile. Make memories that are going to last forever that you can talk about when you're older. And um, I remember when I was in university and like, I was like, I just wasn't really feeling it. So I ended up dropping out the first year initially thinking that my mom and my grandparents are going to be really upset about it but in fact they were incredibly supportive of um, me being like i want to drop out of university and just make beats <laughs> which <laughs> most people would probably be like uh i'm not sure about that so um i think that that was even a testament just to like how much positivity and like belief and happiness that my family have always put into me and even growing up like just deep encouraging all the things that i wanted to do I've always been quite like a video game nerd, computer nerd forever. Like I'm the kind of kid where everybody else is like playing around on bikes and playing the Lego and stuff. And then I'm in the computer room watching engineers install Windows 95 and <laughs> asking them questions and stuff like that. 
just the fact that I'd come to my mom like, I'm into computers, I want to play violin, I want to play guitar, I want to make beats. And they would always find a way to make it happen. Like they'd buy me my first guitar. Amazing. My cousin was the manager of an Apple store in Birmingham for a couple of years. So they managed to get me my first Mac when I was like 10 or something like that. Crazy. So just the fact that like they were always just encouraging me to express myself no matter which method it was and to believe in myself and if I wanted to try something new just knowing that it's okay to not just have one thing and stick with that forever so yeah I'd say a lot of it comes from um my mother my grandparents for sure oh that's beautiful man because it's you know it's not all too common that you know our family or people who are responsible for us (laughs) are happy for us (laughs) to take that route you know to drop what you're doing academically and to pursue music I think that's you know, if you have that support early on, sky's the limit. You just feel that sense of like safety, right? And comfort to kind of pursue the things you want to without that overhanging feeling that you're disappointing someone. Uh, definitely, yeah. And, you know, you talked about, you know, your love for all things kind of video games and like, you know, just looking at the the content you create and the video work that you do. You do have this affinity with like Y2K culture, you know, Windows, um, you know, start, you know, software programs that kind of you do such things in a clever way where you bring musicality to even like the Windows startup sound. And is that was that always kind of like a passion of yours, a video game? Is that something you kind of want to pursue in the future, programming or maybe music for video games? Music for video games, 100%. I really want to pursue cartoons and voice acting, maybe even having my own cartoon, like something adult swim related just because i'm into like those really weird adult strange vibe kind of cartoons with like a really funky unique music but um yeah video games cartoons are definitely a, a major part of my my life my upbringing and even musicality because i i learned so many of like these weird chord progressions or just like patterns just mm. from listening to a lot of like playstation one playstation two era music or um dreamcast era music especially and it, it took me a while to grow into it musically because I think like a lot of people, when you're kind of starting out, you're trying to impress other people all the time. So you end up kind of following trends for a while. And then when you start to get a bit more confident, you kind of come back into yourself. So I'd say it was only the last two or three years I started to be like, you know what? No, I'm really just a nerd. I need to let people know that this is really who I am. And then, <laughs> right. Yeah, then all the, like, the video game references, software references, album titles sounding somewhat technology related and making that relate to love in other weird unique wacky ways i think it's always been there if i was scared to express it for a while from the fear of being judged of being like a weirdo or whatever because most people in music are trying to be cool but i was just like eh, i'm not really trying to be cool it's like this is just what i'm into i want to just let you guys know that so that's inspiring yeah. man because I, I think like even the musicians that seem cool we're all like down deep. We're all nerds. <laughs> I feel like, you know what I mean, it's like, and some are trying to, try, some are trying to, to, you know, earn more denial than others. But <laughs> at the core of it, we're all passionate about. You know, when people say nerd, I think it's like a obviously a very misjudged word because it really is just someone that's obsessed about, you know, particular things that they nerd out on things. You know, the saying, you know, uh, oh man, I nerd out on X, Y, and Z anime or like Korean food or like whatever it may be. I just like, it's just another word for passionate people that are semi-obsessed about different creative avenues. So I think you're a great example of how nerding out on something or being like a self-proclaimed nerd is definitely not a negative thing. I think the word nerd should be a really positive thing, actually. Mm. Just like you said, it means you're passionate about something, you're happy about 
being associated with a certain kind of craft or people. I think nerd could even just be a way to find your own community, which is really cool as well. Like, you're a nerd about games? Okay, you'll find other nerds about games. Now you've got a nerd community about games. That's great. Like, you find like-minded people. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I I know he's a big inspiration to you and obviously he's inspiration to me and and mostly, you know, 99% of the music industry is Pharrell. And you look at his his outfit, you know, N-E-R-D, and I'm sure there's parallels around, you know, no one ever really dies and no one ever really kind of like, you know, the legacy of, of art and creativity keeps on living on people that are obsessed over it. So I'm sure there's an affinity some there with Pharrell. I'd like to think so anyway, because he's an amazing I hope so, creative. Yeah. And I, 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 just on that topic, I hate to kind of like talk about comparisons, but a lot of the time when I hear your music, I do feel and hear Pharrell and the Neptunes and like a modern day version of that. Is that, was that intentional? Is that something like for your sound, you know, starting to make a, you know, name for yourself? How did you kind of create your sound? So I feel like anybody that knows me knows I'm, I'm a like, I'm a ride and die Neptunes fan, NERD fan. I have been for my whole life and I will continue to be until I die. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think like the, the having the Pharrell influence was very, um, subconscious like it wasn't something that I was trying to do it was just something I started to notice more and more like I'm definitely taking certain elements especially like percussive elements or like um certain patches I used like I, I remember I found a, a cork triton on Facebook marketplace for like 150 pounds a couple of years ago and that, that just that just changed everything for me because like whilst most people are trying to get the newest plugging and the newest sample packs I'm like I'm sitting in my my little studio room using this super dirty Triton <laughs> that's probably been used for like twenty something years, and I'm just like, oh my god, I have everything I ever need, <laughs> and um, that that just definitely took me in another lane because I feel like I could kind of use my Pharrell influences, but kind of mix it in with like modern day times with all the new things that I've been inspired by since being a fan of Pharrell, and plus it's just really cool to like um. I just kind of really like the limitations and the simplicity of like old school kind of music. Like I feel like so many um, producers, which is, you know, each to their own. It's really cool. But, you know, they're putting like all of these crazy automations and effects and all these crazy things. But usually my my project files are quite simple. Mm. And it's just a lot of like, just, you know, audio recorded in from a Triton, couple of EQs, compressors and reverbs. But I don't like you really use so many crazy effects that people would be using in the modern day. And I think that's kind of what makes my sound quite, it sounds reminiscent of the 2000s, but sounds somewhat cleaner because, you know, we have modern technology compared to what they had back then. But um, yeah, there, there's something about me. I just, I just love the feel of old school technology, old school music, old school equipment, the character that it has, the limitations that it has, and it just forces you to use your mind a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a great approach. I mean, that's what made the Neptunes and, and and Pharrell's music so timeless is that it was at the core of it such, such you know, beautiful simplicity, right, that can transcend, you know, any generation. And I think with you, you, you know, with your music, it definitely feels that way. I think the main thing as well is your choice of, port, you know, chord progressions and and also your voice you know complements your music so well like are you musically trained are you did you take lessons or is that kind of just innate from growing up 
It's kind of both. So my first instrument was actually violin when I was six, and I was classically trained on that. But oh. I, I was a bit of an idiot as a kid, and uh, obviously yeah. like, I used to do a lot of stuff like climbing trees, trying to do backflips and stuff when I knew <laughs> I physically couldn't do it. And I broke bones uh, a number of times. No. So that led me to stop playing violin for a while. Um, I never really picked it back up. Then I started playing guitar when I was about seven. And I had lessons on that till maybe from seven till 10. So I'd probably got the fundamentals of theory and musicianship down by then but I also grew up in church which definitely probably led to a lot of my more expressive chord progression choices and I'd say from 10 onwards everything was self-taught wow amazing self-taught as in like YouTube self-taught like uh so I I was in that era like just before YouTube became a thing Mm. so when I was playing guitar when I started making beats YouTube wasn't out yet so it was just purely um curiosity i like i would open up fl we had fl studio at school like the demo versions yeah and um i used to just open it up and i remember my initial reaction when i first ever opened fl studio i remember it clear as day i opened the software it fills up the entire screen i'm like this looks crazy like what is all like these um animated characters and stuff because i had like the fl chan background and i'm thinking (laughs) oh is this software that people used to make video games is this video game software because it looks really like animated so I originally thought FL Studio was actually software to make video games. It looks like that, and right? Would, it doesn't look like a serious look program. Like, like it doesn't look like a program. It, that's especially FL Studio Five. five it definitely yeah, looks out. a lot more professional now. But FL Studio Four and Five, Six, they they looked pretty childish. So at the time, I was just like, "What is this weird video game software? I'll just be <laughs> clicking buttons and it's making sounds." And I'm like, "Oh, I think this is for music." And then I eventually just kind of like kept playing with it over the months. Mm. until I kind of started to become familiar with what certain functions were doing. And it was pretty much just that way. I'd just be randomly making stuff until YouTube came out. And then I was kind of able to to slowly learn how to use it better. But I'd say 90% of the way I use FL was just because I played around with it. I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't really read the manual because I was like eight. So <laughs> a lot of the stuff didn't really make <laughs> eight or nine. So a lot of the stuff probably wouldn't have made sense to me. Yeah. So, um... I feel like even now the way I use FL Studio is still quite reminiscent to the way I used it when I was like nine or ten. But oh, I feel yeah. like you and me are the same because I, I started the same with Free Loops. I was a bit later. It was like in high school. So I was maybe like, you know, 13, 14. And I remember FL Studio 6 was the first one I had when, yeah, it looked like, you know, it looked like a stage of Sonic or something. And like <laughs> I just remember always using the, you know, the the standard kick snare and drum that you get that's on yeah. the rack and it's using that for everything and so all my music had that terrible snare had that i mean the kick's not bad the, the kick snare, <laughs> but the snare was like <laughs> offensive and yeah i still use it the same way i haven't learned that many new tricks on, on fl studio and i actually haven't you know st- started using the licensed one until recently cough <laughs> uh, yeah me too it was only about two years ago yeah. I, bought the lessons, I mean they actually. never made it really truly accessible for us so i also wanted to ask this is off topic but do you know what the fl studio fruit like fruit logo is so i remember i went to thailand like five years ago and i was seeing all these mangoes in the market and stuff and i was like it looks exactly like, like that. And I remember posting a photo of it on Twitter and everybody just kind of went crazy. Like it kind of went a bit viral and everyone's like, he found a forbidden fruit. <laughs> and I was like, it, it, it has to be this mango. I don't know what else it could be. Did it have the stem on top? Because that's what, like the one that gets me. I'm like, I've never seen a fruit that looks like an acorn. It, it actually had the stem on top. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. 
but also it's kind of like so you know FL's, you know Image Land's a German company as well, right? Mm. So it's like would the Thai mango be the logo of a German company? So Good also way. it's like does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe it's not a mango. I, I have no idea what it is. Somewhere. This is not one of those web, um podcasts where we unwrap conspiracies. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um I always thought FL Studio was like the unsung hero of a lot of creative like beat makers that came up and because even you know people still today i'm surprised when they say what do you use and you say fl studio people still have the same response of like oh word like you, you still use fl studio it's never changed oh yeah i, I started on that yeah i started on that a couple of years ago but i moved to logical ableton blah 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 yeah, yeah the same conversation always comes up and it's like for me it's like i i could have switched to ableton but i just didn't want to waste that precious time that I would have to spend learning a new software when I could just be making more beats. And it was like, I was always caught in that like limbo, but FL studio is the go. Like, I think it's like such a great program. It really is. And, and like, you know, no shade to Ableton or logic. Cause I, I couldn't use Ableton and logic as well. I had to use logic when I was in college and, um, I was learning Ableton mainly for like live performances and collabs. So I mm. can use them, albeit much, much slower than FL studio. But I just always realized that, you know what, like the fastest way for me to get my ideas out the way that I want them to sound is FL Studio. Therefore, I don't see the reason to change. I'm happy sticking with FL Studio. Yeah. Even though like literally all of my friends for years and years and years have been like, oh, if you was on Ableton, you would be like a beast now, <laughs> like you'd go crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but I could also just learn to use FL Studio better and become a beast on FL Studio. Yeah, so, it was always that. Yeah. People were like, oh, imagine what you'd be if you unlocked what you, you know, unlocked Ableton for yourself. But it never really appealed to me because, you know, once you're comfortable at something, I think that's like another thing for a lot of creatives that want to get into. It's like, it's not what, you know, it's not the tools you use, it's how you use them. It's always been that way. Exactly. And yeah. it's just like, don't overthink it, just use what's, you know, comfortable for you. And pay for the product if you can. <laughs> 100%. I've only recently started buying all of my um, plugins, like in the past one or two, yeah, I'd say two or three years mm. maybe, I started to buy all of my plugins. And whenever like, people are asking me now, like, oh, where do you torrent plugins from? And I'm like, you know, if, if how much money are you making from music? Are you making like a, a decent amount that you can, you know, Plugin Boutique has sales literally every three months. You can get plugins for like 20, 30, 40 pounds even. Mm. Or, you know, you can get bundles for like 60, 70 pounds. I'm like, I'm sure you could afford 60 or 70 pounds if you're getting placements. You know, just just buy them. The stability is nice. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, not worrying about crashes and getting frequent updates and not having to recrack it every couple of months or yeah. whatever. Yeah, the stability is nice. I, I definitely recommend just buying everything. I think when you're starting out though, right, and you're like just like learning your, your and finding your voice, I always recommend, oh, yeah. I'm like, man, just, just rip it. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know what I mean? And it's just like, I mean, back in the day when you you could write, you know, in Google, you know, such and such, and then Mediafire, and you will find something. I don't think uh, it's like It was so much though. easier so back much then, easier. though. I feel like it's um, so so hard to find, like, a reliable um, resource to find those kind of things now. For sure. I wouldn't even know where to look. I mean, you know, things like Splice, <laughs> Splice have, you know, changed the game where it's like, you, you pay for a membership and then you have everything at your fingertips. And I think it's a great tool for young producers that want to just have a go and see if it's like for them, you know. 100%. It's a low cost kind of investment. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about, you know, your journey, um, Rom. You know, I think obviously kind of coming out of your shell from, you know, university and kind of not going down that route, which I think is amazing. 
and then kind of going full steam ahead with being a, a creative. How did you find yourself in South Korea? Yeah, that, that's a question that I was still asking myself up until like me leaving South Korea. Like, how did everything happen? Did you leave? For, have you left for good or are you just having a, a tiny break? I've left for good just because mm. I'm considering moving to Canada later this year. Okay. But obviously, you know, South Korea is my first home away from home. So I'm still going to be back there like multiple times a year. Mm. I'm never going to be done with Korea. Like, I really love that place and all the people in it, all of my friends, homies, associates. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been a bit of a wild journey, like fr from dropping out of university and just down there being broke for like four years straight because I've actually never had a nine to five job. I've really just put my all into the music until it started to work out for me, mm. um, which is a very risky thing to do, you know, growing up because like the long you don't have a resume and stuff like that. So I, I really was just not giving myself an option. I was like, I have to make this work. I'd be staying up like till... 7 8 a.m like from i'd say from like 9 a.m till like sometimes 9 till 9 the whole day just making beats getting my craft together trying different styles i was uploading to soundcloud damn near every single day at one point mm. and just kind of like steadily growing and growing and growing and then that was until i met one of my friends from la called defi we'd had a collaboration group together called defi and rum back in like 2015 to 2016 and we did two projects with that. We only worked online and then, you know, we started posting it on SoundCloud. That gained a lot of traction. We decided, oh, let's go and DJ. Like, we should start DJing, right? So then I started DJing about 2014. Defi's from LA, by the way. So Defi and one of my other friends who goes by Miko, she's a Korean DJ from Atlanta. And all three of us kind of became friends in this Facebook group chat around 2014. Uh, at the time, everybody was using Facebook and, you know, sharing their beats and collabs and stuff like that. Mm. And we was like, yo, should we like, quote unquote, tour together? We did like three shows in Europe. We did like Paris, Amsterdam and um, somewhere in London. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. We took such a hard loss financially on that <laughs> trip. But it was like one of the most memorable moments of my entire life. And even when we see each other to, to this day, we still talk about it. Mm. And um. Yeah, doing my, one of my first DJ shows in Paris with some friends I met on the internet was such an amazing experience at like the age of 17 or 18. And I remember that night we played our show in Paris and that's when I first met Soul Action. Mm. And I was a fan of Soul Action for quite some time, but like that was about 2015, October by that point. And they were also playing a show in Paris. So I think we played the day before them. And it was like Joe K, Andre Power, Sasha Marie, Dappy. They all came through to watch me and my homies DJ and invited us to their show. And then we just kind of like started talking and connecting. A couple months after that, I dropped like this one remix of um, Pharrell Snoop Dogg's Beautiful on my SoundCloud. And that just goes absolutely I remember nuts. That. Yeah. And um, that's, that's still going viral on TikTok to this day. It's got a couple million streams. And that's pretty much when Joe K hit me up. We started talking. He offered me the White Label Project. And then f like going forward from the white label project, everything just changed. I started like playing around the world. I remember two months after my white label came out, I got invited to come play in South Korea and Japan. And then that's kind of how that whole journey started um, developing my audience in Asia. And then when I first got to South Korea, I didn't know anybody Korean apart from Miko, but she was in Atlanta. So I actually ended up calling her. I was like, oh, you know, Sharon, I'm scared. Can you come to Korea with me? I don't know anything, <laughs> I don't know anything about Korea. I was like, oh, if you um, come, like, I'll pay. I'll get her paid and stuff like that. She can stay with me because I didn't know anybody Korea. So she was like, yeah, sure, I'll come. So she came with me to South Korea. 
I ended up meeting like a bunch of people out there. And that's when I ended up meeting Dean, who is like a really quite big R&B, uh, K-R&B singer at mm. the time and Crush and like a bunch of those people who I had no idea who they were at the time because I knew nothing about South Korea or Korean music. And just growing with them as friends, as homies, and just DJing in South Korea like every single year, I think for like four or five years straight. By that point, I've pretty much played everywhere I've ever wanted to play. I've played in Japan, in China, in Korea, pretty much all of Europe. I've played in LA, Canada, New York. Amazing. And I, I was just hyped for life at that point. I was getting placements, like things just kept on going up and up and up. And even to this day, I'm still quite, I'm in some sense of disbelief that I, I genuinely made things happen. Like I was genuinely able to come from this really small town within Birmingham where people don't really ever come out of just making beats. I've never had a nine to five, so I had to support myself from the tiny pennies I was getting from music until I could kind of start to live off it. And then we get to like the pandemic times. So up until about 2019, I never had any vocals on my beats. I was just making beats. Oh, really? 2019? Yes. So 2019 was about the time I started putting vocals on my beats. Mm. 2017 was the first time I put guitar on my beats because I was too scared to do that. And it was actually Tom Mish that inspired me to do that because I was like, oh, people can put guitar on beats and still make it sound cool. Mm. At that time, I was pretty focused on being like, you know, the, the future bass, bass heavy kind of music. I heard Tom Mish's white label and I was like, wow, so you can, you know, just play instruments on these kind of beats and have it sound natural. And then I, I went full steam ahead with the guitar. That kind of became one of my staple kind of noticeable things in my music, uh, my guitar and bass. And then we get to about 2019, I'd signed a one album deal with Sony. And I, I released my very first album with this imprint under Sony in New York. So I spent like my whole summer in New York finishing that album. And that was the first time I ever sang solo on like two tracks. And um, I feel like if you go back and listen to that project compared to like my more recent two projects, you could hear that I wasn't as vocally confident, but the ideas were there. And then after that album comes out, a lot of things start to come up for me. I do my first music video. I start collaborating with more artists, get even more placements. And then we hit the pandemic and that happens. So a lot of things slow down for people. Mm. But surprisingly, the pandemic, 2020, the start of the pandemic was probably my best year musically, actually, uh, career-wise, financially, just in terms of collaboration, my singing, songwriting. And then that's when I started to do the clone videos with the, the green screen. Yep. And um, like having 30 of me on the screen <laughs> dancing weirdly to all these songs and stuff. That idea just came about during the middle of um, the pandemic. I didn't really expect it to take off, but then it really, really took off. And the Windows XP song then ended up being on the news. Microsoft sent me gifts no and said thank you. And they, they were bumping it in the office for like a couple months straight. And I was like, wow, what the hell? Then I released the Ice Cream Clothes Project, which is probably my most vocally polished and most expressive musically production-wise mm. project I've probably released to this day. And then, um, yeah, at that point, I was just saving a bunch of money. I had just broken up with my girlfriend of three years at that time. So I was kind of just like, oh, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Now I'm single. My music's going well. So I'm kind of like feeling bittersweet about life. And then... I'm seeing that like Korea is one of the only countries that's open to the UK because a lot of countries are kind of closed off to like each other. And I was looking at the visa process to move there because I was like, I've been to Korea like, you know, for six years at this point. So I already know a lot of people there. I've DJed there quite a lot. I always get a lot of support from my Korean family and fans and friends. So I just kind of like bit the bullet. I saved a bunch of money and 
I somehow managed to get a visa and I just moved to Korea in the middle of the pandemic. And um, yeah, I, I remember getting to Korea and I was sitting in the airport because I had to get a COVID test. I was sitting in the airport for like eight hours waiting for my results and I had no internet or anything. I'm just sitting there like, why did why did I do this? Like, I have no <laughs> idea why. I was like, yeah, coming to Korea is cool. But I was like, why did I move here? Mm. And then after I get out of the two-week quarantine that you had to do at the time, which was mandatory, I remember just like coming out of quarantine, like, well, what do I do now? I have no idea. I'm just out here. I don't have an apartment. I've got all these bags. I don't know where to live. I've got a little bit of money. I don't have a Korean bank account just yet. I don't have Korean ID yet. I don't know any Korean. I can't read Korean. And I was just like, okay, I need to start learning a lot of things. And then at that point, I just started to hit up all my friends like, yo, I'm in Korea, I'm in Korea. And everybody's like, why? And I'm like, I moved here. And everyone's like, why? <laughs> why not? And I'm like, why not? The UK is not really in the best like uh, situation right now. I wanted to just try something else, see where it could take my career. You know, just take a risk, try something random. I've been taking risks and trying random things for pretty much my entire journey as a musician my entire life so but it seems like it helps like it helps propel you and kind of like you know f- um, forcing yourself to be resourceful because you're 100%. in a place where you have to be otherwise you'll die no you'll just be in a really bad spot i think listening to your entire journey it seems like you use the word scared a lot but you also overcome a lot of those you know things that scared you from using your voice playing with you know putting guitar on a track moving to a new city making connections and I think it's like a really valuable lesson about taking risks. You hear it on like, you know, a lot of self-help TED Talks, right? <laughs> like yeah, take a risk, but it does put you in a position where you really have to be smart, work hard and, you know, put yourself out there to see what you're made of. I think it's amazing. 100%. I, I think usually when I get to a point in my life or career where um things seem, I wouldn't say seem easy, but seem kind of like, I know what's happening now. I'm in the, like a really good routine. I'm in a good cycle. I know what kind of music I'm making. I kind of end up in a cycle of doing the same thing and nothing's really new to me. And I feel, I'd say comfortable is probably the best way to put it. That's usually when I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something drastic. So I got like really comfortable during the pandemic, especially after the clone project. And, you know, I just kept on doing those videos. I just kept on making beats and singing and songwriting. And it got to a point where it's like, okay, like this is just all too predictable for me now. We're in the middle of the pandemic. It's like all cards are off the table now. Anything can happen because literally the whole world's in a mess. Mm. So why not just try to do something bad drastic? And I was thinking of moving to an English speaking country, but for the longest time, I've always wanted to learn a new language and just put myself in an environment that seems so unfamiliar to me long term. Mm. Even though Korea is familiar to me because I've been there a number of times and I already knew a bunch of people. I knew the area, so I now have to use to train and get around and stuff. But I'd only ever been in Korea for maybe five days at a time, every single time I had been there. Mm. So, um, yeah, when I decided to move there, and then, like, I remember just sitting there in my Airbnb looking for apartments. I'm learning Korean, so by maybe two, three weeks into it, I can already read and write the Korean. And right. I'm like, okay, now I have to start to learn language structures and, like, learning how to, like, speak and try to communicate with people. I'd say at this current moment, my Korean is probably about the level of a six or seven year old. But um, <laughs> that's still pretty good. It's still, it, it it's been enough. I mean, I, I passed my level two Korean speaking oh, wow. and writing, so that means that I'm kind of I'm kind of able to do certain things unassisted. Like I don't need to be assisted by like my Korean enemies all the time for um like ordering in the restaurant or going shopping or being in a taxi mm. or trying to explain directions and you know things like that. 
basic conversation, like, how am I feeling? Am I hungry? Am I hurt? How are you? I can speak, yeah, six, seven-year-old level of Korean. That's really good, though. That's, that's still very advanced. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, for like almost two years, I'd say I'm pretty happy with it. I'm still going to continue to learn it, even though I'm outside of Korea. But yeah, that was probably my biggest hurdle in Korea. And once I started to overcome that, and I used to be in a lot of situations where I'm like, Okay, because like, for example, if you want garbage bags, you can't just like pick them up off the shelf and buy them. You have to go to the convenience store and ask. So um, that was like one of my first challenges. It's like, okay, I have loads of trash in my apartment, but I'm too scared to ask the, oh, uh, the convenience store dude downstairs. Like, how, how do I buy bags? Because he's not going to be able to tell me in English. And at this point, I didn't have a phone contract. So it's not like I could use Google Translate in the store. Right. So I'd be sitting upstairs like practicing. Oh, 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 oh I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. I'll go downstairs. I completely vomit. It. it was terrible. <laughs> He's laughing because I think he knows what I was trying to say, wow. but I did it wrong. And actually, luckily, this convenience store owner that was downstairs from my apartment actually spent 10 years in LA so he could speak fluent English. Oh, true. And every single time I'd speak Korean to him, he'd always give me pointers on how to sound more natural. Oh, that's amazing. And um, he'd end up practicing my Korean with me. So there'd be a number of times I'd go in there and I'd be trying to say something. He's like, no, 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 don't say it like that. Otherwise, you're going to sound like you're 50 years old. You know, sound more young, sound more free. And I was like, I was like, wow, like. You know, you're just chilling here at like 2 a.m. just teaching me Korean. I'm like, thank you so much. Because it's a, it's a tough language. My, my wife is Korean and, you know, she's been teaching me in, like in sporadically. And I, so like some sense, it's like structure in the grammar. I just don't understand. It's just, you know, like English, there's certain rules uh, just because. But I know like most of the food, but I think, you know, when you were in Korea, did you, it's a confidence thing, right? Because you can practice it so much like in the bathroom or by yourself. And as soon as it, <laughs> yeah. when it comes to crunch time, you just, your tongue like falls asleep and then you just sound like a baby. That's literally me for like maybe the first couple of months. I'd always be like, I'm confident, I'm cool. I'd go into like uh, like the Home Plus or like the E-Mart, which are the massive convenience stores for people who don't know, massive grocery stores. And I'd be trying to ask for something. And I'd just be like, so goggy, just say, and I'd be like, so goggy. And I'm like, <laughs> and then they'd be like, ah, and I'd be like, okay, did that work? And then I think they might have think I said something else. And next thing you know, I'm looking at carrots or something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like that obviously wasn't the right thing. Uh, I messed up. So, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's it, amazing. It took a while. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And like, you know, before when you said that you met, you know, Dean and Crush, and for those who aren't familiar with the Korean music scene, you know, they're really huge artists, you know, they're doing, you know, very large scale things. And I think... How was that kind of like, were you getting placements in in Korea with South Korean artists as well? Or were you just getting placements like uh, globally? I was getting placements globally, but I also got quite a few in Korea in the past couple of years. Dean Dean was actually on my first album, which was um insane to me. Because like me and Dean were like friends for maybe about four years before that happened. But he, we just both happened to be in London at the same time. I remember just showing him some beats. He was like, I want this one, I want this one. And he sends me a video like two days later. I was like, I've written this to it and I've got like another artist on there, uh, which she goes by Tabba, which now he's blowing up quite a lot in Korea. But at the time, he mm. was relatively unknown. So I think his feature on my album was probably one of his first releases. And yeah, I think pretty much working with Dean really put me on the map in Korea. And every single time I see Dean, I'm always like giving him so much like thanks and like just big hugs for like just all the things he's done for me, like whether directly or indirectly. I just always let him know and how much I appreciate just the fact that like he was there for me. Mm. He was there behind me cheering me on my very first DJ set in Korea. 
He was there for my very first album. He was there when I moved. Like he was, I feel like he was always been there for me throughout my journey of exploring Korea and the Korean music scene and stuff like that. Whilst I was in Korea, I got quite a few placements with artists like uh, Ocean from the Blue and uh, EXN. She's like a really upcoming, really dope um, rapper. I feel like we get on because we have like very similar nerdy video gamey kind of tendencies. And that's kind of why we connected because I remember I bought my PS5 to her studio <laughs> at the time when I, I just got my PS5. And she was like, wow, we just sat there playing PS5 for like two hours and <laughs> just, just talking and stuff. And then we eventually ended up making songs uh, later on in the year. And we, we ended up getting in two magazines together and um, doing like a bunch of videos and stuff like that together. I shot a music video for my, my song Awkward in Korea and I had one of my other artist friends uh, who goes by Jad. And she's a really dope uh, Korean singer as well. So she was like a feature in my music video and I produced for her album. So yeah, I, I was trying to just get down and around like underground or majors, just trying to work with as many Korean artists as possible. Mm. And I would always be telling people that, um, you know, Korea's done so much for me and my career and my global presence. And it was probably one of the first um, non-English speaking countries to really take my music and run with it and really support and really just you know, play me, always show up at the shows, get hype, fill out the room, have fun. Korea was the first time I ever tried doing my life set as well. Which, so I was playing um, guitar and bass and looping stems and doing vocals and stuff like that. That was the very first time I ever did that. And the room was like literally filled back to front. Wow. Just, yeah, I, I can't give enough love and shout outs to Korea forever. And especially Dean and um, Milik and just literally all of my Korean friends that I've met. And ones I've known for years. And yeah, Korea is going to have a special place in my heart for the rest of my life, for sure. It's a special scene, for sure. You know, I think when you think about, like, you know, the SoundCloud era, the, the Soul Action era, those that are aware of the Korean music scene, they have their own era too. And I think we're in the middle of it, you know. And I think it's Definitely. They, they have this wonderful perspective about soul music that comes, that's, you know, distinctively Korean and I think it's one of my favorite kind of subgenres around the world. And I'm still waiting for like Dean's next release, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I feel like everybody is. Yeah, everybody is. I feel like he's either held ransom or he's just building the anticipation till it's like unbearable. <laughs> I think that's what he's doing personally. Yeah. I think, you know, his, his music is incredible. And I think that the fact that you two align makes complete sense because you both make amazing music. You know, did your did your mum or grandma ever make it out to Korea to visit you to see you in that in that kind of like scene? It would have been pretty wild for them to see Eric. That would have been amazing, but um, sadly, I, I think possibly due to like the the growing tensions between Russia and Ukraine, mm. the flight prices from Europe to Asia have become super expensive. Oh, Where true. it used to be like um maybe 450 to 500 pound return to go to Korea or Japan. It's now like almost over a thousand one way. Wow. That's crazy. So I don't think they had the money or the time to end up making it out there. I did offer to pay, but then it kind of became more of a timing issue. Yeah. And then COVID. Happened. And my mom actually wanted to come out to visit me this summer, but then I ended up moving back <laughs> yeah. three days ago. So <laughs> yeah, that ended up happening. But my mom still is, even to this day, still saying like next time I go to Korea, she's definitely coming with me. And I can show her around and, That'd you know, show to all my friends, my favorite food places and stuff. So I'm excited for next time. What's your favorite Korean dish? <sighs> Either dak galbi or naengmyeon. Oh, naengmyeon. Okay. 
And for those who don't know, naengmyeon's kind of like um, bibim naengmyeon, which is my favorite. It's kind of like um, red bean paste with like cold noodles. It has like ice in there and it's, it's really fire. And you have like an egg in there as well. And uh, that galbi is kind of like marinated chicken, like cut into small pieces, like mixed with a, a bunch of vegetables, uh, usually cabbage. And you can like mix with like sam, which is like the leaves, like lettuce and um, like red bean paste and like garlic and stuff like that. And you just eat it all in one go. Super, super nice. Yeah. But I'd say those are like my two favorite dishes. Good choices. Yeah. Bibinignon is my favorite one. I can eat it like when it's hot and also eat it when it's like cold. Like when the weather's oh, hot or when it's like, it doesn't matter. I think like, yeah, I think, you know, Korea for anyone that wants to visit, I think it's definitely worth a visit. And I, you know, 100%. I think later on, Rama asked you tips about living there. It's a place that I've always wanted to go back there with my wife and see, you know, what it would do to my creativity. I think that's an interesting topic too. You know, I think like travel for me has always been the biggest like ticker of like keeping my creativity at a really high level. And not just like, you know, creating high level things. I meant like having that urge to create as at a, at a high level. Cause when you're in a different country and you're in a different like surrounding and setting, there's something that it does to your inner creative self that you can't really match when you're, you know, in your hometown or like in even in your home country. It's just this weird like switch in your body that just tells you, oh, I'm just so like keen to create and keen to like, stay creative i don't know how to explain it do you feel that that way when you're in I, yeah i 100% agree with you because i i would say that was part of the reason i moved there because um i'd say because i was doing so much up until the pandemic and i was doing pretty much every major project i've made up until my second album was all made in the uk it was all made in exactly the same room in my mom's house in like um the, the garage i converted into a studio Everything I've ever done was made in this one room. And even though I made this one room as colorful, as aesthetic as possible to like try and like, um, and I'd rearrange it often just to try and inspire new ideas, put new items in there, take new items out, take old items out. After a while, I just kind of like outgrew the room. Mm. And every single time I was in different countries, I always found like my music would be completely different or I'd be inspired to try new things. Like, um, I always talk about there's this one song on my first album called Make Me Feel. And I still remember the day I made that beat. I was touring in China and they gave me the aux to like plug into my laptop and I was making beats in the back of the car whilst we was driving like down this like really empty road with the most beautiful scenic views you could ever see. And um Oh man. It's like 40 degrees outside, it's mad hot. Car breaks down on the side of the road. I'm like, damn. But luckily, it's like it's right next to like a convenience store. But like, it's not like right. a, a nice convenience store. It's like a super like kind of run down. It's just kind of like bricks. And you know, you got like an old man, old woman who just have like some drinks and like um, a little fridge outside. And we just sit there for like two or three hours waiting for like um, the repair guys to come and pick up the car. But the battery's still working, which is great. So. I'm just sitting. You're still the, making beats. Yeah, I was sitting on the side of the road, just like blasting beats out of like this car with the doors open. Sitting on the side of the road, the day is like really beautiful. You can still hear like all the streams and like just fresh air, and everyone's just having a good time. We had a couple of beers in the back of the car, and we was like, okay, well, he can't drive now because you know the car's completely totaled. It's gonna get like um taken away. So we're like, oh, let's just sit on the side of the road, drink a couple of beers, make some beats. And I ended up making this one beat. Like I said, it ended up being called Make Me Feel from my first album. 
And I'm kind of like, wow, this never would have happened if I wasn't in China, just sitting on the side of the street with some those random, kind of like, yeah, those kind yeah. of memories you can't you know replicate those. It's just like it just happens because it just it was meant to be. And if you can like ever create a musical memory along with that, it's like locked. It's like a time capsule, right? Make me feel will always be that moment in time Literally. in China <laughs> at a rundown gas station. <laughs> Amazing. I had two more questions for you, Rom, and the first one, because, you know, I I am privileged and very honoured to have you on the album. You know, you sent me an amazing demo, which is called Smile, and I think it's it's really testament to who you are, you know, and, and after talking to you, like the kind of creative you, you are and, and want to continue being, you know, what's next for you? What do you see is the next thing for you after, you know, a long stint in Korea and now you're back home? So like I said, I'm exploring the option of moving to Canada later this year, just because I do do a lot of work in North America. Most of my work, most of my placements, most of my collaborations and music friends in general are either from Canada or North America. So I'm definitely looking at exploring being there long term because I feel like that would give me quite the career boost. Music wise, I'm looking at I'm about to release Ice Cream Clones 2, which is I started to do some new clone videos in the, the last month or two. Uh, so it's going to be those songs in the project uh, with two new features who won the beat competition I did. And um, a couple more like fun, expressive, mainly production heavy, but like really cool vocally um, produced songs as well, which is just mainly my, I feel like the Ice Cream Clone series is just my chance to just be as creative, as musically strange and down to earth as possible. And then my albums mm. are more like the, the, I'm focusing on songwriting and I'm focusing on actually making a bunch of good songs and focusing on actually making a really cool story. So with that being said, I'm also starting to work on my third album now, which obviously after being in Korea for two or three years, two and a half years, I have so much new inspiration, so much more stories I would love to tell. In such and you must have clip. so many, so many more dem- demos sitting on your on your hard drive oh my, my my hard drive since i've been in korea has gone insane like i have <laughs> i have thousands at this point and crazy I, honestly i feel like um that's also inspired me to try my best to like like this summer i want to and this is I'm, I'm also saying this so people can hold me accountable for it i'm trying to release as many songs as i can this summer because i don't want to be sitting on well i actually have quite a lot of good demos and i know i do but i just sit on them for so long because i'm quite the overthinker and um mm. I'll always be thinking like maybe this doesn't stack up to like the things I've released in the past or maybe it's a bit too different just because I, I'm definitely trying a bunch of different styles of genres these days. But yeah, th- there's also that. And I'm also trying to find a way to get into like, making cartoon music or like video game music and um, exploring myself creatively more visually. And also I'm just trying to like work with as many artists as possible. I definitely took some time to focus on myself, mainly in the past mm-hmm. year or two. But, you know, me writing songs, me singing songs and stuff like that. So I want to get back to producing for more artists and working on like whole projects as opposed to just singles. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be quite an exciting, productive year. I've got a lot of um, upcoming shows in Europe, which I'm excited for because that's been a while. I'm excited to start like doing some frequent traveling again because, you know, the world's only just opened up in the past couple of months to start traveling again. So I'm excited to start exploring that again. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to have a pretty interesting uh, 2023. Summer. Yeah. yeah it's very interesting. <laughs> oh, it's summer. amazing, man. 
Yeah, I mean, for anyone that's fans of Ramda 4, you're a new fan, I think, yeah, we're excited, man, to see where your new travels take you and to just, yeah, as a fan myself, drop, keep, yeah, just drop them songs as frequent as you can because, you know, the more music we get from some of our favourite artists, the better. So, yeah, thank you, man, for spending time. Thank you for your art. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, and thank you for, like, letting us know about your journey because I think it is really interesting story about how just really throwing yourself in the deep end, hoping for the best and doing great work and it t- can really take you places. I think that's a really valuable because a lot of people are hint- like are so hindered by, you know, not wanting to take that dive, even if it's something small like, you know, using their voice on the track or trying something different production-wise and straying from their sound, quote-unquote. And you never know that that thing that you do and jump, you know, when you jump could just change your life forever. So I also had one last question just before we wrap up. You're a video game head, but can you, before we like sign off, what is your like top three all time video games of all time? Oh, I had the feeling you're going to ask me that question. <laughs> uh, see the Any console, any, any gen. So if anybody saw I'm pretty sure you might have seen my Instagram story that I posted a couple of days ago, like where I was just finding all the old video game consoles and oh, video yeah, games I have crazy. in my house. And I think people didn't realize how much I was really gaming when I was younger. Like I still had all of those consoles. I had almost every console from the sixth generation, even though I bought most of those in my, my old years. But I would have to say my most three memorable games that I still keep coming back to year in, year out. Super Mario Sunshine on GameCube, one of my all-time favorites. I've still never completed that game because it's so hard. It's so, oh, so hard. Man. But I just generally love the atmosphere, the music, the environment of the game. The colors are literally so popping. I'm a big fan of color, as many people know. So that game is one of the most colorful games I've probably ever played. So that's on GameCube. I'll try to keep one game per console since there's been so many. Uh, PlayStation 2? I'm going to say, for some reason, I don't know why, SSX3, the snowboarding game, was always one of my favorite games um, on PlayStation That's iconic, 2. yeah. Uh, the soundtrack, too. The soundtrack, exactly, yeah. The soundtrack paired with, like, the amazing snowy visuals and, like, the over-the-top skateboard moves and just how yeah. animated that game is in general, paired with such a perfect soundtrack, SSX3 is definitely one of my all-time favorites. Then I'm going to take it back to Dreamcast and say Jet Set Radio would be number okay. three. The cel-shaded, like, cartoony, animated kind of graphics. That wasn't really seen before that game. That game was really a pioneer in that kind of art style. And um, so true. again, the soundtrack was amazing, paired with like the um, mixing the communities with like people who were into skating and spray painting, graffiti kind of art and music all together in one video game. It's really a beautiful game. I really wish Sega would have actually made like a, a second version of that. I think a lot of diehard Sega fans are definitely waiting for them to make a Jet Set Radio 2 one day. But I yeah, would have wow, to 2000, say... 2000, that was released. That's like, 2000, yeah. That's great. It's definitely... Yeah, they could reboot that because there's even games now that have a similar, you know, art style, which just shows how, like, ahead of its time it was and how it's, like, used for a lot of inspiration for for games today. 100%. I'm just looking at it. I'm just looking at a, a walkthrough on YouTube now. <laughs> an amazing game, honestly. All these games as well as like, you know, instant nostalgia, which I think is another kind of touch point for creativity too, you know, like, you know, digging deep to the things that you loved as a kid that formed who you are today. I think all that stuff is amazing as well. But that's a great top three, man. I think that's, I think 
that's a pretty goaded top three. I don't think many people can argue with that one. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, yeah, I feel like those are like some games that like not so many people played as far as I remember. Only like my friends who were like really, really into video games would probably know about Mario Sunshine and Jet Set Radio at least anyway. But um, if anybody hasn't checked them out and you have the means to do so, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, there's this TikTok um, channel I follow where he just every day he uploads a different game where you play something like a, from a, a vintage console. And it, it really takes up a lot of my day, those videos, <laughs> like watching them. Because <laughs> it's just like, you know, grew up on all that stuff. And I was the same. I, I tried to get every console. I wasn't able to keep them all because mom was like, if you're going to get a new console, you're going to sell the other one. But Yeah, I, I was the same way too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, brother, for being on the pod. I hope, you know, your transition back home goes smoothly and we look forward to, to more art from you in the coming months. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And also, by the way, since this is the very first time I ever spoke to you, like, properly, I have to just tell you how much of a big fan I am of, like, everything you've done, for, like, literally forever. I've been a bag- not allowed. To, you're not allowed to do this, from. <laughs> I have to. Like, you, okay. you were, like, one of my, my biggest inspirations, actually, when I was younger, like, when I was, like, 16 or well, 17. Thanks, and I still remember, I'm not sure if you actually know this, but um, you actually put one of my songs in your Drive Slow Homie Part 4 that was on Track Train. And that was before I went by Rum Default. I just went by Rum at the time. And um, oh, that, that's you. That that was me. <laughs> I had no idea. So about maybe a year or two after that is when I eventually changed my name to Rum Default because I just wanted it to be like more cartoony, more fun. But yeah, I still remember when you put that in your. Mix. It was like uh, you you spelt it like R dot O dot M, right? Yeah, yeah. Ah, no way. And when you put that in there, I fanned out so hard. Like, I remember going to all of my friends, like, oh my God, Taku just put me in these mix. He's heard my music. <laughs> he, like, he knows I exist. So, um, that's weird. That's so weird, man. Because, yeah, that was like, you know, SoundCloud, that was like a 2000 and I think it was 2016. It was, like, yeah. You know, SoundCloud era was like, you know, unforgettable because I would just go on SoundCloud. I would just find so much great music from people like yourselves and, you know, Kadisma. You know, I think on that mix there was a bunch like you remember Beat Make a Beat from Russia. Yeah. Oh, he was <laughs> um, insane. Shefters, you know, I think it was just like crazy time. But that's yeah, man, it's amazing. I mean, that's likewise. I'm such a big fan of your music, and I think it's funny how things are full circle. You know, I think we all we all have different starting points, but I think it's so cool that we're all fans of each other. And I'm just yeah, so stoked to have you on my album as well because. You know, my albums is less about me and more about other people that I just really love, you know, and their music and, you know, having people together on. I know you've worked with Xavier as well. He's on that our track together in Daisy World from LA. So, yeah. Likewise, man. Big fan. And thank you for working with me. <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course, man. Hi, right, man. I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Welcome home. A podcast by Taku. Taku.